What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate. And look, I ain't going to hold y'all. Very excited about today's guest. I'm excited about today's episode. I'm just excited about today. I'm thankful that we have new leadership in the White House, though I am under no illusion that the realities of white supremacy continue to be a blight on all things equity and inclusion. And I also realize that for us to continue to create a more equitable and just world, we're going to need to continue to agitate uh, systems and hold leaders accountable. And again, I'm excited because the person who I spoke to today spoke into me about that. Um, Antoine Andrews, who is the first chief diversity and social impact officer at SurveyMonkey, came on the show. We talked about the fact that he's taken on this new role, what it means to him, what it means for him. And why he's excited about SurveyMonkey. So I want to shout him out, thank him in advance. And then I also want to thank Emery, my little baby girl. She's almost 10 months old, y'all. And um, she was a guest on the show as well. You'll hear some of her contributions. Uh, But look, before we get into the conversation I had with Antoine, let's tap in with Tristan. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. This week, I want to discuss how to set yourself up for a raise or promotion so you can be where the money resides, where the money resides, where the money resides, where the money resides, okay? (laughs) Many of us arrive at our end-of-the-year reviews with our fingers crossed, hoping that we receive that raise or promotion. The majority of us end up disappointed, either because we got that standard industry 2% raise, or worse, none at all. That's never a fun space to be in, but there are a few steps you can take to increase your chances of landing a higher raise or that promotion you were seeking. Many of the things we are going to discuss were inspired by a thread I found on Twitter by Simone B, at Simone M-B-A-N-N-A. So let's dive into them. It starts at the beginning of the year when you're setting your goals with your boss. Take some time to identify the intersection of what the company wants and what you provide. Where those two things overlap is what you can do for the company, your unique value proposition, if you will. All of your goals should be derived from this area as they will serve the dual purpose of meeting the company's goals and meeting some of your own professional goals. When setting these goals, you want to focus on things that are relevant to your personal and professional goals, things that are impactful to the company, and finally, things that can be measured or quantified. Use the acronym RIM, R-I-M, to remember where you should be focusing. Relevant, impactful, and measurable. Many professionals make the mistake of waiting until a performance review to discuss a raise or promotion. These are conversations that should be happening all year round during your one-on-ones with your boss. Take the time to ask them, am I on track to receive a raise? Or am I on track to receive a promotion? And if not, what do I need to change? Lastly, you want to make sure you gather receipts. Keep emails from internal and external stakeholders who are singing your praises for the work you've done. Simone mentioned even creating a survey to send out to people you've worked with to measure your performance against company goals and promotional criteria. This is actually a tactic I successfully used in several jobs. Ensure that you share this information with your boss, both in your one-on-ones and during your performance review. If you follow these tips, you will set yourself on the right track to get where the money resides, whether that's a raise or a promotion. 
make sure to follow Simone at Simone M. Banna, which is S-I-M-O-N-E-M-B-A-N-N-A on Twitter because she is continually dropping gems. Thanks for tapping in with me today. Don't forget, I'm now taking submissions from you all on career questions, issues, concerns, or advice you think may help others. So make sure to submit yours at bit.ly forward slash tap in Tristan. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash T-A-P-I-N-T-R-I-S-T-A-N. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Antoine, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. Hey, now look, I know it's a loaded question. Um, how are you feeling? Zach, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And I, and I think that's a balance for me of, you know, everything that's going on. If I look at the full spectrum of life, uh, from work, politics, race, my family, myself, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Well, I mean, you know, I feel like we, I feel like as black people, we have to celebrate because racism is, is over again. You know what I'm saying? Racism is over again. You know, we got, uh, you know, we, we, <laughs> we, we got the, the instigator of, uh, of all things white supremacy out the office. We got, we got a really nice uh, white guy back in the office with a black and brown uh, woman this time as vice president. So I just feel like, you know, that ceiling um, that was there four years ago and that was broken is, and it came back is gone again. So I'm personally, I feel great. Yeah, well, Netflix will not be calling you to do a stand-up <laughs> show. So, but I'm glad you. I'm glad you're feeling good. I'm so glad you're feeling good. And, and I'm disappointed you won't get your Netflix special. <laughs> um, now look, uh, we're in January, and you know it's a new year. You talk about the totality of just like emotional spectrum, and mm-hmm. I know that we all suffered losses of various degrees. Uh, mm-hmm. Sadly, um, even many of us lost our lives. Or if we have four hundred thousand people, mm-hmm. um, you know, have passed away related to COVID nineteen. Let me ask you this: What did the tragedies of last year bring into focus for you as you prepare for this year? Yeah, and and that's you know that again that's a big question, but I, I, I and it's a for me it's a timeline of things that if I if I think about it, so just just bear with me for a minute. If I think about all of last year. You know, I, I start in January and remember when I was sitting when I heard uh, Kobe Bryant had passed. I remember that, that that January day, my son had sent me a text that, hey, Kobe died. And we know a young man named Kobe. And I was like, which what Kobe? He's like, Bryant. And I remember how hard that hit me. I had people reaching out to me and I wasn't a huge Kobe fan. That was the start of the year. That was the start of the year for me. And then we we moved to the pandemic, and I, I I was in New York, had a chance to spend time my birthday um, in March with my parents, and ended up staying two months in New Jersey during the pandemic with my parents. It was the first time in my adult life that I had spent extended time living with my parents, which was a new thing for me. And then you know work and all of George Floyd and all of that. So if I if I think about twenty one, what it prepared me for was understanding and embracing what's important to me, my family, understanding the three identities that I've 
you know, of my adult life that I held close to me, being a black man, being a black executive and being a diversity professional. And 2020 was the first time in my, my career that I was unable, Zach, really to reconcile all three of those because the George Floyd murder, it, it rocked me to my core. I mean, until this day, I still not have not, I have not watched the A46 video. I have not watched all of it. And so I think it prepared me for how to be able to move through my identities, hold them core to who I am, and really, really try to make sure I balance the spectrum of, of my full life. And I think that's preparing me for this new role. But I, th I think that's for me as I head into 2021 and the rest of you know the years ahead. It's those are the things that I'm holding close to me. And that's what 2020 did for me. You know, I, so much of what you said uh, resonates with me, right? So I remember where I was when I heard about the Kobe Bryant news. I was actually at the baby shower for my daughter, mm. right? So we're over here celebrating life. And here I am thinking, and, I, and I, to your point, I wasn't a huge Kobe Bryant fan either. I respected the legacy and the hustle and like what he taught me, honestly, from afar. And I think that, I think many black men resonate with this is like, Kobe wasn't afraid to fail. And that's mm -hmm. that's a superpower into itself when you think about black men and the legacy of, you know, black Americans and black folks across the world. So to have to see someone on this stage and yes, Kobe came from privilege and, you know, you know, he had um, international background, blah, blah. But still, he was a black man and he would just be like, I'm not afraid to fail. He pull up, he take he pull up, he pump three times and shoot, shoot it from 40. He didn't yeah, exactly. You know about him? He wasn't afraid. To not have people, he didn't care if people liked him or not. He didn't. He wanted to be great, and he did not care where you were if you were in his corner, and that fueled him. So yeah, so I, I think you're right. He it resonated with a lot of us, and I didn't know it was going to bother me as much as it did. Yeah, and so to your point, right? It's like, and I guess because I also, and it, I mean, it really became just a incredibly devastating precursor for the rest of the year, of like. Here's this figure. There's certain people you just don't think gonna die, you know. You know, frankly, a couple of years ago, I felt similarly about Prince. I was like, yeah, Prince gonna just live forever. He looks great. Like he just, he just gonna sit in his palace, and he's gonna, you know, do what he does. He'll show up to tributes, and he's just gonna be 150 years old. I just, you know, and so there, there's those types of individuals who you just think are always gonna be here, and then suddenly they're just gone. And so it was interesting that the dichotomy of being in a place celebrating the prospect of new life. And then being hit with that news in the middle of me opening up these baby gifts, right? Um, and then to your point, right? Like continuing forward, you know, my my daughter was born, Emery, Emery, Emery was born, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. And then you know, George Floyd is murdered. Now, Antoine, you may not notice, my dad and my family, my uh, I have I have four brothers and sisters who live in Minnesota. My dad lived. 20 minutes away from the man who murdered George Floyd. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So all these people, I mean, it was tons of folks just protesting in that area. Different type of protest, right? Because it's, it's Minnesota, right? White suburbia. So the vibe and the, the methodologies are a little different, but still, like, we talked about just how close it was to home. And then crazier than that, Antoine, I was only one degree separated from George Floyd because he and I were in the same ministries together when he lived in Houston. So it rocked me to my core too. And I've yet to watch that video as well. I, I just can't, I can't watch it. But it's, you know, I think between, you know, Kobe and George Floyd, not to mention the countless other 
black and brown folks who were who were murdered by police, including uh, several black uh, trans women who were murdered by police. And then COVID-19, it's like, for me, what I took away was just like the fragility of life, right? And like how, you know, there's no day promise. And there's, there's a terrifying reality to that. But I'm excited about what it did for me, what it fueled for me is when I think about 2021, like I'm excited about like moving forward more courageously because, you know, we just don't have we have no guarantees in this life. So, you know, I, I believe we should live as intentionally, as courageously as possible. And I think if 2020 didn't wake that up for you, I mean, I don't know what a better, what a stronger wake up call could be, you know? Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I think, um, and it's interesting to hear your six degrees, your separation, because I think it's, we all have those moments. And, I, you know, that's, for me, I think about the, the South Carolina um, Mother Emanuel AME church shooting. I went to high school with one of the um, women that passed away. I mean, really good friends. Oh, my. Uh, yeah. Um, never forget when, you know, everyone came back. It was interesting of how we're, we're connected in so many different ways, but it's, we have those moments and it, and it makes you think and really have those deep thoughts around there. So I, I get that. And, and that's, you know, how's your dad, how was your dad doing during, during all of that? So, you know, I get a lot of things from my dad. But I did not. I did not get. He is. Um. He's unflappable in certain ways. Okay. Okay. He's so hyper focused on his family and his kids. He was more so concerned about making sure that my siblings didn't try to go out there and protest and get themselves hurt because he he already had kind of peeped game about people infiltrating the protests and other things going on to undermine the initiative of the authentic protesters. And so he was just focused on talking to them, keeping them safe. The reality is that both my father and I have had our own experiences with police brutality. Um, several years ago, we had guns pulled to our heads in Minnesota. So that shook him back then. But I think, I think because that shook him so, so much, I think that's, that's, I don't want to say strengthen is a, is a, a, a strong, is an, a complicated word, but I'll, I'll say that it's, it's given him a certain level of armor that he's mentally now prepared for things around him because he experienced violence yeah. so intimately, you know? Isn't that something what we got to be prepared for? So that's an interesting thing, right? It's unflappable. The harshness of racism has made him the stronger man. And and not, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have been anyway, but the things that we leverage um, as black men to be stronger is interesting if you break it down. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And actually that, that actually leads me to this next question. You know, we, we connected offline, right? You and I already connected. Mm -hmm. And I share with you how rare it is for me to have black men, especially black DEI type leaders. I can actually name my look because I said it and I was like, you know what? Let me just make sure, you know, whatever. So let me, let me just check my let me let's check like the store, the record of guests. So, you know, we have a, a leader from Zillow. Uh, we have Chris Moreland, um, formerly a Vizient. And then we have like we have uh, Michael C. Bush, a great place to work. Right. And we have uh, Chris Michelle from mm -hmm. Bloomberg. But again, I'm just I'm naming four people. We got like 300 and almost 350 wow. podcast episodes. <laughs> so, And like, wow. you know, there's some entrepreneurs sprinkled in there, too. But when I think about like and I say this not to like throw shade on entrepreneurs, what I mean is like when I think about people who've gone up like or, or navigated either straight vertically or positive uh, with like zigzag corporate guys, it's rare for me to get those folks on um, this platform, especially if they're in the DEI in the space. We talked a little bit about how these spaces can kind of wear you down over time or compromise you if you let it. I'm curious 
how you've been able to maintain authenticity or maybe a better way to say it is to make sure that you return back to yourself consistently in your career? Yeah. You know, I think for me, one of the things Zach has been my, my authenticity, meaning who I am as a, as a person, as a leader has been a core component of, of just how I show up. But I will say over the past five to seven years, I've leaned more into, you know, my background, my, my experiences as a black man growing up in a, in a, in a city, growing up in a housing project, all of those things and sharing that more which I think has freed me up to be able to, to, to continue to lean into what I listen to, how I show up, what I wear, I'm a huge sneakerhead, all of those things. But I, I will say my current job, um, working at ERA and working with young adults who are 18 to 25 has really helped me sharpen that. Because as you know, one thing I, I know about working with young people is that they smell a fraud right away. Quick, quick really quick and 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 for me i needed to make sure that one is i was just you know make sure i showed up as myself and two i wasn't trying to elevate or show up in a way that look what i've done and that's helped me it's helped my, me with my voice it's helped me really show up in a way to lead you know folks that look like me folks that don't in all of the communities and all of the the leaders i engage with and i think people appreciate that and so for me, I think over time, I've been able to hold on to that because that's what I live when I'm not working. And you know, the dual consciousness, the double life, all of those things, it starts to wear on you over time. Now, I, I will say, you know, I don't tell everybody my entire thing. One of the things I talk about is an authenticity ratio. And for me, I'm closer to you know, 70, 80 percent of the full person I am at work than I've ever been than I've ever been. So I think for me, it helps me, frees me up to think about more of how to be successful in my job, how to push leaders. But I think over the five to seven, past five to seven years, that's what, you know, just being able to, to kind of know, like, this is who I am. Let's not worry about that. And let's just show up in a way that it's easy for us. You know, there's so much that you said there. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me is about uh, sniffing out fraudulent behavior or fraudulent vibes or stizos, depending on uh, your, your, your vernacular. You know, I can tell you there's nothing more like a turnoff um, in this space is like, you know, you meet a lot of for what I've what I've learned from my own generational court is, and certainly Gen Z is, you know, this whole idea of like, hey, I worked at Dell or I worked at Xerox or like, you know, name dropping brands and stuff like that. Or, or like, you know, hey, I was the such and such a star. But it's like people don't really care about that. Like they really want to understand and know how much you care. And then like where your heart and your values are, right? Like I've seen more and more folks who don't have this like really pristine or like highbrow corporatized background. They may have been like a local organizer or something. And I think you see that in the political realm as well, like Corey Bush and like other people who are like, I think the the overall ethos and just like the attitudes are shifting away from ties to large capitalistic systems and more and getting back to service oriented values and like brands. Right. So it's like, you know, that's what we really want to see, you know, to that end. I really want to I mean, I, we try to keep it 100 on living corporate. Uh, you know, to, I'm gonna be honest with you. Know, like we have, we haven't really had to like hold back, and I'm really proud about that. To be honest with you, and so I'm like, yeah, I, I'm thankful. Like, and not that we be just going crazy, but you know, there's certain things, language that we use that I just don't think, you know, folks really be using um in other spaces. So, um, let me keep it on with you. Between ongoing videos ca capturing police brutality, 
MAGA culture not going anywhere, despite racism going away, like I said earlier. Um, the attempted insurrection and raising political tensions with an entirely democratic government. I don't know if corporate America is responding to this moment with the gravitas it deserves. Like, I'm not sure. We'll talk about surveying monkey minute because that's, that's a bit of an exception. Uh -huh. But I'm not sure if like the DEI space, if executive leaders, I don't know if we're ready for this, if we really appreciate what's happening right now. Do you think I'm tripping? I don't think you're tripping. I want to go back to something you said a little earlier about um, community, corporate. There's a saying that um, I picked up and, and we said a year up and I'm going to use it overall. But it's one of the things we don't care how much you know until we know how much you care. And I think that's a great point about this work as well. You know, we're in historic times and people say that and I don't say that lightly. And I don't I'm not sure if everyone knows how much and what level to match the time that we're in. And so I think everyone is trying to figure it out. I think we'll watch, you know, President Biden and, and uh, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris to see if they're ready for the for it all, because it, everyone's expecting. And this is where I think we all fall off. We're expecting, to your point earlier, to go from zero to 100 in maybe 100 days, like everything will be fixed in 100 days. That's going to be tough. And so I think corporate America has a, a voice. We've, you know, corporate America has made commitments. Big companies have made commitments. But I think the rubber is going to hit the roads three, four, five years from now to see and be able to answer your question of did we step up to the plate? Did we meet it with the, the gravitas that it, it needs? I don't know. It's hard to say right now. I do think people are trying to figure it out. But I think we're going to have to really make sure that we hold folks accountable. And I mean, the folk, I mean, everybody, um, the folks in the White House, the Democrats, whoever, we're going to have to hold folks accountable to make sure that we are striving for the results um, that we all want to see. And it's not just numbers. It's those lived experiences. Like you said, you know, the police brutality and how you're engaging. We want to see that change as well. And so you're not tripping. You're not tripping. The moment is big. The moment is big. And are we ready to using, you know, thinking about Kobe Bryant, are we ready to be ready to take that shot? And we got to hit it. We got to hit the shot. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, 100 percent. Now, look, um, you know, Emory is taking a nap and we're in the living room, so I'm not going to play the sound effect live. But sound man, give me them air horns right here. Um, you know, elephant in the room. Uh, monkeys in the room congratulations man on being survey monkeys first chief diversity and social impact officer i recognize that this is not you know what they be saying you're not you're not new to this you're true to this you've been in this for for, for a second but i also recognize based on just the conversation we've been having and you know on and offline is that you're always growing and and you recognize shifts and and how landscapes continue to change i'm curious what makes this opportunity with survey monkey different for you yeah i think the combination of internal focused on our culture, talent, and the external piece of really being able, whether it's product, helping create voice around the work, talking to folks like you um, is critical. I think that's the biggest piece, the big piece. The other piece is that it brings diversity, equity, and inclusion together with social impact, which is important. Being able to have the, that spectrum, um, for me, made it very um, appealing. and. You know, I'm not going to lie, the reporting structure, working directly with Xander is important. 
But Xander is important. I, you know, I had a great opportunity to spend a lot of time talking with Xander, hearing his messages. As you know, you, I, I listen to video on you, so I watch I watch video of Xander to see how, how comfortable he was and what he wanted to do. That that made a huge difference for me. And so the platform that SurveyMonkey's had, it's, it's in the feedback business. And so we, we will use the data that's out there to really be able to tell stories, amplify voices, individual voices. And the, the funniest thing is, I always said, like, I'm, I'm a curious person, borderline nosy. And so to power the curious just aligns with me, just aligns. I, you know, my mom says I'm nosy because <laughs> you know, she always says the first thing you ask when you get on the phone with me is not how you doing. It's like what you doing. <laughs> and so so I think that for me, the power to curious is really uh, a huge component. It's a, it's a part of who I am as a person. So, I, you know. Inquiry is how I lead, and so SurveyMonkey is a is an inquiry type organization. You know, to your point around Xander, when we had him on uh, on Living Corporate, because we got it like that out. Um, we <laughs> we talked about. I asked him. I said, "Hey, talk to me about how do we know this isn't just like the flavor of the month, something fleeting? Like, you know, this is pressing right now because of George Floyd and and Trump being in office, but." Talk to me about what this looks like, you know, in the future. And he said, well, look, I mean, <laughs> I'll never get out. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it verbatim, but all our content is transcribed. So, you know, you can search yourself. But, um, you know, Xander says something along the lines of, look, I'm the CEO. As long as I'm here, this is going to be important. And if you're not prioritizing diversity, equity, and inclusion, you're not going to be here. And it was this very matter of fact way that he said it that stuck with me. And I said, well, damn, okay, that's that's different. You know, I was kind of expecting like this, um, you know. I know. You know, that like, written response. That yeah. Yeah, you know, we value diversity of thought mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. You ain't say none of that. And so to that end, you know, the other the other thing that you just said about the power of the curious and then also just the culture of SurveyMonkey being focused on feedback. Because some of the other thing I asked is like, how do you manage and deal with, you know, fragility and like, how do you wrestle with your own fragility and like getting tough feedback? And he said, well, we're a feedback organization, right? So like this idea of like, if you can't handle someone giving you tough feedback, he's like, you probably shouldn't work here, right? Like you have to deal with that here if you want to do that. And I do think, you know, when you think about organizations and like one of the biggest barriers to true equity is authentic dialogue and solutioning and giving tough feedback because we're constantly, I mean, I really would like to get your opinion on this because we're running so well on time. Right. Even this, this was one of my can was one of my questions is how have you managed the I'm going to say fragility, but I also mean egos of like your white stakeholders as you do this DEI work. Like, I'm curious about that. I, and I think I got again, I got to look at it throughout my entire career. I think I tried to manage to them early in my career more than I should have. And what I mean by that is. I think I was more concerned about I was more concerned about how they reacted to you know feedback or talking about increase in diversity early in my career. And as I, I started to take on more of a leadership role, I realized that that was not about me. It was about them. It wasn't about the work. It was about them. And um, I, I always listen to a lot of uh, sports radio and one of the sportscasters always talks about a me problem or a you problem. And for me, I started to identify, well, that sounds like a, that really sounds and feels like a you problem. So I'm not going <laughs> to own your stuff. Yeah. And so I, I think right now the comfort level 
that people have and the discomfort level that people have around talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, race, racism, white fragility, white privilege, all of those words, it's more centered around what they need to do. And I can't help them with that. I've had a conversation with a, um, a leader and I realized there were some things he needed to figure out. And I remember saying to him, I think you're going to need to address those things and then come back to me and we can talk. I can't help you understand why you are reacting to things that aren't really directed towards you and you're take making you're centering yourself, you know, centering whiteness and all of those things. So right now, I think we all have to do an internal search on where we are in this country, in this world, and in our in our lives around understanding the role we've played and you know, lack of equity racism, all of those things. And that's that internal work that everyone has to do. The book, Me and White Supremacy, I don't know if you read that, is an amazing, it's an amazing book. You know? And what I love about it is, is that you got to spend the time, you got to take your time in those 28 days to ask yourself tough questions and really be able to process why you feel that way. And if you can't do that, we're going to have an issue when it comes time to talking about behavior, leadership style, all of those things. So so for me, there's some internal work. I, I believe that there's a, a mindset shift to drive behavioral change that's important around all of this work. And people have to want to do it in order to get there. So so for me, I think I've, I've grown in my career. I think I've grown in, in my confidence level as a leader, but I've also learned not to pick up and hold other people's stuff. That's such a profound answer. The top of it where you you rejected responsibility for things that you can't control. I think that there's this, well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. There's this tension and pressure that I've had in my career when I'm consulting and I am, you know, I'm having conversations with leaders where when there is a response that is not, that's odd to me or that, that to your point, to your language is basically them centering themselves or centering whiteness and not necessarily discussing the matter at hand where I then respond and internalize and say, okay, well, how do I coach them and fi help them fix that? As opposed to calling out the reality that, hey, you know, that's something that you need to, to shift and change. And so it's interesting, you know, we talked about Biden's first 100 days. You know, I don't want you to give any sauce away or too much anyway. Um, but let's talk about, you know, your first 100 days coming brand new into SurveyMonkey. What's going to be your focus? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a, a it's five things, Zach. And so I, I'll try to I'll, I'll explain them and then try to be focused on them and explain them for you at the same time. The first thing is I got to prepare myself for this role. And also we got to make sure SurveyMonkey prepares a new role for SurveyMonkey is a new role for me. And in that prep preparation, it's just, you know, going, sitting back. I, I, I have a week break from when I end working with the year up to when I joined SurveyMonkey. And I'm going to spend some time just rethinking and going through my career and things I, I thought I did well, things I could have done differently, all of my roles and going into this role with a new view on what success could look like, how, how I'll show up differently, how I'll show up the same. And then I think the other piece is when I land in SurveyMonkey in, in early February, it's helping the organization, the leaders, the people that I'll be working with. Um, know what this role is about and how this role will engage with the leaders and the teams overall. So that's the first one, really preparing myself on SurveyMonkey. The second one is really understanding the work that's been done before me. You know, SurveyMonkey has done a lot of great work, 
prior to me arriving there. So I need to understand that. But there are a lot of people that have been doing good work. So I need to understand the investments that were made from the leadership team, the current team that I'll be joining, um, employee resource group leaders, all of those things. So really understanding the landscape and appreciating the landscape. Third one is establishing relationships, both internally and externally. You know, this is a part of that. You know, like you said, you and I connected offline, um, which was great. We're, we're, we're on this, this conversation today. But understanding relationships, and, and this is, you know, not only leadership, not only employee resource groups, we know, I know in organizations, there are influencers who may be at a, a, a more junior level, but they're influencers. Staff listens to them. How do I make sure I know who those folks are? So establishing key relationships, building my team is critical. You said keeping it 100, it's, that's going to be critical. But you know, building, building a new team is going to be critical for me and, and making sure that we have the right skills and abilities to be able to drive for that. And you got to have quick win. You, you're watching this play out right now. Everyone's talking about what um, President Biden has to do. The first thing they're outlining is how do you get to 100 million people vaccinated in a certain way. So looking for quick wins, but also identifying those risks that will impact the agenda going forward. So like those are my five key components right now for me. And this is the best time to be joining an organization. Everybody's talking about their first 100 or whatever. And you get to learn a lot of like what leaders are going to be thinking about and doing and and what who's going to do it wrong. And so I'm excited to to be doing it, but I'm also excited to be to watch so many important leaders talk about the first 100 days. You know, when we talk about, you know, your strategy and your plan, you know, it's interesting. You made mention of relationships. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, like when you think about like the chief diversity officer role or like or, or whatever that sing, whatever that title is, but essentially like mm -hmm. that diversity role. What relationships do you believe typically go under indexed? Mm, that's a great question. That's a great question. And maybe I'll speak from it, from my role. I, I think a lot of times the product business side goes under indexed because, you know, teams are already moving forward. You're coming into the equation late. And being able to find a way to influence change overall, so I, I think that's one of them. And I, I do think employee resource groups are are under indexed, not through the lens of you know helping create create inclusions. They're a talent pool; they have access to so much internally and externally. Right. And so, how do you leverage those those to be able to create pipeline? not only for the now, but for the future. So I, if you had that, like, right off, right, those are the two for me that I think um, are critical and under-index for a specific reason overall. I agree. You know, when you think about products and you think about, like, I, I think historically, you think about diversity and inclusion, that work, it's seen as frosting. It's seen as icing now. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that despite all of the rhetoric and the increased public focus, plenty of organizations still see it as icing. <laughs> and so like the question I, I'm always challenged and like frustrated by why that DNI office role team, whatever, what have you, is not positioned in a way that is a revenue generator, right? That is not seen as a wholly as an expense. 
or as a truly recognized and appreciated investment that's direct, really tied to real dollars, even if those dollars aren't immediate. Like, I'm consistently curious about that because we see all, especially in tech, right? We see all these articles come out about like, you know, AI and how it, you know, oh, we, we found out that these <laughs> autonomous cars can't see black folks. Uh, we, we, found, we, we found out, be like crazy stuff that they find out that they quote unquote discover you know, years or, or several, several, several quarters after the fact, you know, after a couple, after they got a couple of dead bodies, it's like, oh my gosh, like what, you know? And so the question I always, I have there is like, man, why are y'all not figuring out, I mean, y'all a bunch of smart folks up there. Why aren't y'all figuring out ways to integrate your DNI folks into the, the products research team or the, the development team or the, or the, you know, like the, the review, like some, something y'all got to integrate them somehow. Yeah. And then to your second point around employee resource groups, man, I continue to say, um, you know, the same that like those groups are pools of talent where right? you think about like, first of all, you know, again, we live in a capitalist society. The goal is always to get the most labor for the least amount of cost. And you have these folks, I'm, now I'm speaking very pessimistically, but you have these folks who out of the passion of their hearts are engaged in these spaces. A couple of organizations will pay a little something mm-hmm. um, a little stipend for people to participate, but largely it's, it's volunteer who are really re- willing to do whatever if they had direction and investment and sponsorship. And so even if an organization was to put a few dollars in, it's still going to be exponentially cheaper than you hiring some external place and whatever, whatever, whatever. And so I, I constantly question and, and I'm disappointed, frankly, by the lack of strategic integration that many employee resource groups have in terms of, okay, well, how are they integrating into your talent management strategy? How are they integrating into your products strategy and marketing plans? How are they integrate? Like there's so many different ways that you can plug those people in. And if you tie it back to like overall talent strategy, you then are creating avenues and mechanisms for, for retention, right? Which is a huge issue in tech, as we know. And so um, I agree with you. It's, but it's interesting that despite the lack of investment that these um, organizations will have, if you ask executives about their diversity and inclusion, What's the first thing they bring up? Ant- Ant- they bring up employee resource groups. That's the first thing they bring up, <laughs> knowing they knowing they ain't put a dime in that thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of the, and I think it's the because we know it's how people get engaged. So if you think go back to your earlier point about community engagement, the employee resource groups, those leaders are more like they're they're community leaders, they're community leaders, and so I think to your point, the ability for folks to to develop their skills in a place where I think it's it's low risk. You have the support. People are going to provide guidance for you. It's not your day job. You can hone in on opportunities overall. So, I, And I think making sure we're setting them up for success. And, and what I mean by that is if we're looking to grow our, our, our talent pipeline or increase our representation, employee resource groups help with that. They shouldn't be held accountable because they're not making the decisions around that. They ain't got the power. Right. And so I think, but how do we use them to help us change our, our philosophy, get access to talent? Hey, do you know Zach Nunn? And like, yeah, we do. Can you make the connection for that kind of piece that it expands our access? And, and to your point, from a consumer perspective, there are so many organizations that I've worked with that have, have, have lever- we've leveraged our employee resource groups to make sure we understand just the communities we're, we're looking at. At Nike, we did a, a huge of that working with our Black Employee Network when it came around Black History Month shoe and all of those things from that perspective. So critical, 
you know, I think there are a lot of other under index um, functions overall. You know, I think one part is I'm looking forward to being able to work with Becky, the um, CHRO at SurveyMonkey, people leader, to be able to drive and embed the work um, overall in, in how she sees her talent. So it's a, an exciting opportunity from that perspective. All right, let's talk a little bit about the state of diversity, equity, inclusion work in this corporatized context. I think now more than ever, people are skeptical about the actual function of this space. And to be clear, I'm part of those people, Antoine. Yeah, right? I know. I know. <laughs> so you think about, and what I mean by that is, you know, there's there's critiques out there that, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is about like kind of like reaffirming the status quo or mitigating litigious risk or all various and extended ways to say, protecting the company rather than really like advocating for true disruption or change or um, an and impact. And, and I'm curious, you know, as you come into this organization that, of course, has had leadership, it has had leadership, but it hasn't had a chief diversity officer before. What does it look like for you to mitigate some of those frustrations or points of uh, skepticism? Yeah, I, I think the biggest piece is that, you know, this work, Diversity Act, Everyone has a perspective on what we should do, how we should do it, how we should change, how quickly we should do it, which I think complicates the function and the role automatically, right? So no, everyone knows. We, I've read an article. I know how to, we should do it this way. So I think that's the, the complication and overall. The other piece is that I always have a question of what would you want us to do, meaning in the function? And, and a lot of times it's like, let's fix that right now. And understanding that not everything, you know, you, can, you can't just fix everything right now. There are some things you heard me talk about, quick wins, that you're going to need some time to understand. It's just the, it's the nature of where we are in this country. I think in order to have sustainable change, people have to change how they view the work. Because if the leaders, for me, if the leaders don't see their behavior, they'll change something today and, t- you know, 10 months down the road, a year later. We're back in the same view. And I think that's what we're all thinking about right now. That's why the skepticism comes in. That's why you're, you're whack opening around being a, trying to be funny. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> racism is gone is that we know for a fact that if you just sit back and wait, things will shift back into the order we want to do. And so in order not to have that done, I believe it's how do we all look for not a, a savior function, but how do we all agitate at, at all of the fringe areas along with the DEI function to drive change? And that, for me, I think that piece is where sometimes the frustration sits in because it's like we expect that you or that function to do it, and the function needs support. Yeah. It needs support from everyone going. going. And I think that's one of the things I've, I've tried to, to make sure. You talk, heard me talk about building a team much broader, looking at influencers, because Sometimes I may some, say something and people may be skeptical about it. But if an influencer says something at an employee resource group meeting or at some type of function, it's like, yeah, you're right. And it connects to it in that way. The skepticism is always going to be there. It is. And, and I think it's important for, for me and for all um, CDOs and um, social impact officers is to keep moving ahead, taking that feedback on reassessing and say if there was something I could have done differently. But if 
without the skepticism, I don't think we'll, we would be successful in these roles um, at all. I mean, I appreciate you calling my intro whack. It was, it was supposed to be, first of all. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm look, man. I'm, a, I'm an alchemist like that. Um, but no. So, um, I have reactions. I agree with what you're saying. You know, you're using language that resonates with me. What makes you skeptical about it? You agree? I mean, but what you know? What makes you skeptical about the function and the progress of the function? I think to make a, a long answer less long, I've yet to see an office really do some of the things that you said collectively mobilized to to create agitation across an enterprise you know like i've i've yet to see you know you think about and what i'm i'm still really passionate about uh, and and continuing like really passionate to learn is like studying civil rights movements like not even of the 60s but actually of the like the 40s yeah and thinking about like grassroots movements and how pods of resistance were created for structural change and to like really mobilize people I've yet to see those types of principles applied in corporate context. I think um, I've yet to see, again, like just all the words that you use. Like I've, I just haven't seen that. What I often see, um, first of all, I don't often see people that look like uh, Antoine Andrews. But on top of that, what I've yet to see are folks who are even using pointed, honest language. I don't see a lot of offices really decentering whiteness and centering those who have been harmed and continue to be harmed. Um, and I've yet to really see like a strategic integration across like delivering uh, value and tying it to dollars, which would ensure that that office stays relevant and has actual institutional power. Right. To me, they often seem set up as fixtures. Now, this is not a messy podcast like this is not, you know, I know like in like, you know, New York radio and like New Jersey radio is good for like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give you the smoke like this is not that type of platform. But trust me, Antoine, I do have the smoke in my holster, but I just am professional. So I'm not going to I'm not going to air it out. But there are people out there who sit in these roles and they're kind of like career pivots. Right. They're not necessarily there for the people. And so mm-hmm. when I hear and what I'm excited about, why I'm excited about talking to Xander, talking to Katie, and I'm not going to name drop everybody else, but you know, I'm talking about talking right, to you right. about this work is because there is something unique about the way that this organization, SurveyMonkey, is tackling it. But that's my am I being am I being fair? There's not a blanket statement you can make that says, you know, that's what the functions are. They're individuals, there's companies, but, you know, I do know my peers in, some, in, in many um, organizations pushing hard, pushing really hard and have been pushing, you know, I think water uphill for, for some time. And if I go back to, to my point, like the landscape has shifted. And so if we, we, we measure everyone through what it was versus where we are now, I think that's, that's a bit unfair. And I, I agree. I think voices now are going to matter. How do we center those that have been under-resourced, under-indexed, and their voices haven't been centered? How do we change that going forward? That is going to be the charge for every function that has a chief or has a diversity, equity, or social impact in their title, in their function, is how do we shift the conversation to talk about what can we do to what do we need to do? I'm not sure if you're familiar with with Ted Childs, who he used to be the chief diversity officer well before chief diversity officers ever exist at IBM. And I remember maybe three or four years ago, him talking about comparing this work to the auto industries. 
talking about what are our zeros. He was talking to me, he really said, you know, auto industry talking about zero accidents, zero emissions, all of those things. And then a diversity, inclusion, social impact space. What are going to be our zeros? And right now, I think that's what we're trying to establish. We don't want to minimize bias and the impact of it. We want it to be zero out. We don't want racism to be less. We want it to be gone. And we know that's going to be a path. But if we state it, it gives us an opportunity to, to kind of move towards that and know what we're going towards. Not an easy task, not an easy task, but it's one that we all have to sign up for in this new landscape, in this new footing that we are sitting in, that you hear in the inauguration speech of the president of the United States talking about racial issues in the 400 years that we've experienced it, really putting a stake in the ground. And that's, that's important. That's important. So I think we're on a new path, we're on a new chart, and I do believe there's still going to be skepticism, but you need skepticism in order to have success. No, you're 100% right. And, and, and to your point about perhaps being a little unfair, you're right. I'm open to the reality that I might be being a little unfair. I'll challenge you back and say, I think light attracts light. So the fact that you have a network of folks that you know are doing the right thing, that don't surprise me, Antoine, because you, you, know, you come across as a very stand-up dude, so you know you're probably not going to attract people who are out here moving raggly, right? So I'm confident that you could probably point me to some folks out there. And of course, like, look, I, you know, my, my commentary isn't for everybody. Yeah, yeah. But I think that what I've continued to observe, you know, there's some patterns that I'm seeing. Um, and I salute those folks who are doing those right things. And you're right. Look, the landscape has not only changed for what DEI needs to be, but the landscape has changed for executives um, who have historically underfunded, undersupported, underutilized DEI. Like I think, I think it's often forgotten that those offices are not like beholden to themselves, right? They move as much as the you know typically the CEO or that board or whatever the case allows them to move, right? Like there's only so much they can do, irrespective of what their title says. You know, formal power, like we've been talking about influencing, formal power and informal influence and power are two separate things, and they're not always one to one. Um, Antoine, you know, we recorded this uh, a day after the inauguration. You know, like you said, it's a great time to be joining organizations. Talk to me a little bit more about why you believe SurveyMonkey is a great place to work and, you know, what you're just most excited about in your first couple weeks joining. Yeah, I, I will say this. Um, looking at the inauguration, to your point, where day after the excitement of, of seeing, and I'm going to be honest, that the centering of, of Black women and we know their role Black women had in the election was amazing. But just watching that, it was just unbelievable from Amanda Gorman and, and really Lance. She, you're talking about dropping the mic. That young sister just... She just bodied that. Um, like three times last night, just, just to, 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 to hear it and, and watch. And her tonation, all of those things, like she, I'm like, she... She's wow. a no. She's a she's a she is a virtuoso. She knows exactly what she's doing with that thing. Yeah, you know, I was like, put that over a beat. As we grieved, we grew. Yeah, come on, man. I think for me, from Survey Monkey's perspective, it, it's the ability to have access to information that doesn't just center around corporate America. You know, the surveys that we can create to help organizations better understand their diversity, equity, and inclusion and measure those efforts. Looking at, um, you know, belonging indexes. So 
SurveyMonkey, we are positioned very well to not only show up as an organization, but help be a part of the conversation that's much broader and much bigger. One of the things, if, if I had my camera on, you would see picture of uh, Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny List. And I always say, like, always looking for an organization, a leader to be able to punch above its weight. And I believe SurveyMonkey has the ability to really be able to do that. And so I'm excited about that culture-wise, from the board to the senior leaders, to everyone I've come in contact with right now. One is the time, they're always on their word. If they got back to you, I'm going to get back to you tomorrow, they do. Committed to wanting to, to, and curious to wanting to know how do we get better and authentic. Like my conversations, each person didn't feel canned. It didn't feel like in a corporate language. We just had conversations and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that because having the ability to just be allows you to be successful. We talked about Kobe. I'm a big sports fan, Zach. So I, I talk about sports. When you can just play and not worried about if the coach is going to take you out, making mistakes, more than likely you're going to be pretty successful because you're just flowing. You're just flowing. Man, this has been dope. Antoine, man, I appreciate you. Look, you know you're a friend of this. I hope you know you're a friend of the show. Uh, salute to SurveyMonkey. Xander, we see you. Katie, we see you. SurveyMonkey team, we see y'all. Keep on doing what you're doing. Until next time, uh, we'll catch you soon, man. Thank you. And we're back. Look, I just want to shout out Antoine again. Thank you for being on the show. Shout out to the entire SurveyMonkey team. Shout out to Xander. Shout out to Shauna Hughes. Appreciate y'all. I want to remind everybody that for systems to change, it's going to take a combination of strategic internal efforts and external forces pressing up and creating pressure and accountability for those systems. They're going to need to be some level of coordination for there to be true change. Like when you think back about last year and all of the, the Black Lives Matter protests, that's really, frankly, why so much stuff started mobilizing and moving in these corporations. It wouldn't have happened without them. And as much as you might like to think those things are separate and distinct, they're not. And the role of a diversity, equity, inclusion office or a diversity, equity, inclusion professional is going to be someone who's able to mobilize and galvanize at the grassroots level and connect the dots across various in-person and digital communities. Right. So local communities, global communities, global communities. It's going to be important that they're able to think strategically and logistically about how all those things come together to affect change. What I'm excited about is I really, truly believe that Antoine gets that and the every monkey gets that. Now, before I let y'all go, I want to remind y'all that Living Corporate is not just a single podcast. We're an entire network of digital media. We have web shows. We have blogs. We have um, one off webinars. We have all types of content. And this is not the Zach Nunn show. Right. So I want to shout out Nubiana Aben, Mike Yates, Tiffany Tate, Tristan Layfield, Aaron DiCaprio, Neil Edwards of the Leadership Range, Shanisha White, Brandon Gordon, Amy C. Wanninger. I want to shout out Madison Butler. I want to shout out the team because we're a collective and we're building something that is really meant to live beyond any one of us, certainly live beyond me. And I can't thank you all enough. If you're asking yourself, man, how can I support you? How can I support Living Corporate, Zach? I really love your voice. You sound great. I would say, first of all, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And then I would say the way that you can support Living Corporate, two ways. First way is just tell your friend about us. This is a crazy year. 
white supremacy is going to be the buzzword of the year. So whether you like it or you don't, white supremacy is going to be a word that you hear a lot. If you're having any conversations about current events, social injustice, diversity, equity, inclusion, lived experience, politics, life, that term and those words are going to continue to come up. So it's actually going to be easier than ever to insert living corporate into a conversation. Just let people know, hey, you know what? This is a platform you want to check out living corporate and then take your phone, press share and just flip this, flip this to them. That's one great way. The second way is you can give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Easy, free, takes you like, what, 13, 14 seconds. You want to write us a review? That would be great. Easy love for us. And it really lets people know about the show. Living Corporate, this podcast is our flagship show. And so the more people know about this, it kind of like permeates out to all the other things that we got going on. With all that being said, this has been Zach. You've been listening to the Living Corporate Podcast where we center and amplify the voices of black and brown folks at work. Take care of yourselves. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.